live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Back in my day, the NFL wasn't postponing games due to COVID outbreaks, turf burger. Back then, the only thing that could stop an NFL game was your wife asking, can we watch something else? This is the press box. And you'd roll your eyes and she'd say, you've been watching football for eight hours and you'd hem and you'd haw and she'd say, now I'm taking the kids to my mother's and just like that, you'd turn it off. Ed Graney. But it was too late. She was already gone. We're good this time. There was nothing you could do to bring her back. Tyler Bischoff. And at that moment, you knew. You knew more than ever. You were ready for some football. On ESPN Las Vegas. Cardinals versus the Jets. I've got nothing. Nothing after that weekend of football. I don't even know what to say. I, I can't even. I'm so stunned. It's not good. You got three hours. You I gotta know. Say it's stuff. three hours of nothing. The, the, the job is done. We are out of here. <laughs> it's all over. It made up for the first weekend of the playoffs. The first weekend of the playoffs sucked. Yes. It was a terrible weekend oh. of football. I, I would even argue the Saturday games weren't that good. Sunday made up for almost everything. Well, they were close. They don't have to be good games offs. to be entertaining. Four a lot of kicking. We had a blocked punt that ended up in a touchdown. That's fun. Might not be good, but it's fun. <laughs> Four walk-offs, and, and none, none included Daniel Carlson, which is he's Mr. Walk. I know. He's, How disappointing. Yeah. Why couldn't was, Derek Carr throw a touchdown pass on that final play yeah, instead of a pick? Exactly. Daniel Carlson could have kicked another walk-off. Yeah. Oh, AFC Championship. The first bite. The first bite today is brought to you by McDonald's. Did overtime ruin the best game of the postseason? No. <laughs> well, we know who he was cheering for. What other sport, just a great tweet, what other sport doesn't allow both teams to have a chance in overtime? None of them? None of them. None of them. <laughs> Everyone gets at least to touch the ball. Now, obviously this, and it's funny because someone said, you know, Brady did this, um, Brady did this as well, and no one, you know, Winder complained about it. Uh, but no, Brady did, did this to the Chiefs in yeah, 2019, the and yeah. the Chiefs immediately in the offseason said, "We need to change the overtime." Rule. I'm talking about Twitter and the fans. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't see the, I didn't see the outrage of what we saw last night. And believe me, I wanted Josh Allen to touch the ball again. I mean, I just wanted it to keep going. I didn't want that thing to end. I don't think it would have. It's part yeah, exactly. of the problem. Here's the issue, and. I think there's a simple fix to to the overtime problems. Why the hell don't they just play an entire quarter? It's a good point. Like, yeah, I I understand the the i the whole idea behind NFL's overtime rules are they they want to stop playing football because it hurts. They don't want these guys <laughs> right. playing forever. Right. But like, okay, regular season, play a ten minute overtime period, and. Just play 10 minutes, and who's ever winning after 10 minutes wins the game, or if it's still tied it's, in the regular tied, season, it's, then a it's tie. What well, I mean, I, I don't quite get the problem with doing that in regular in uh, the regular season. And then in the playoffs, play for 10 minutes or 15, whatever you want to do, and if it's still tied, well, you keep going because right. it's the playoffs. Like, eventually, you're going to have the score broken. So I don't understand why that's not the overtime rule. I don't get it. Like, why... Why, like, we're okay with playing five or six minutes of overtime, but not 10? 10, 10 or 15. I don't get, like, it's a simple fix. It's a completely simple fix. I don't understand. So there's, like, 
A lot of people are like, oh, college style, give them both the ball. No. There's the Ravens suggested yeah. this last offseason, this spot and choose method, right. where one team would basically pick the spot of the ball, and then the other team would decide if they want the ball or not. So, like, if you win the coin toss, then you would say, okay, put it at the one. The ball's going to be placed at the eight yard line. And then the other team would say, okay, either we want to take the ball and have to go 92 yards, or we're going to give you the ball and you have to go 92 yards. Is it limited, or can you put it at the one? You can put it wherever you want. Yeah, you could put it at the one-yard line, and then the other team would say, okay, now you get the ball at the yeah. one-yard line, and now you've got to right. go 99 yards or punt it to them at midfield or whatever. Like, that's a fun method. That would that would create a lot of uh, interesting decisions, but it's, it's, it's unnecessarily complicated. Just play 10 minutes of football and tell us what the score is at the end, and that's how you win the game. Hold on. I would look forward to the Raiders somehow losing because they spotted the ball and you coming in on the on the next Monday oh, it would be with great. a Bischoff's Reese's like Everyone knows the optimal placement is the 47-yard yeah, line. It's the we have math line. DVOA, XYZ. It's the 13-yard line is what it is. But like, it's, Oh, my God. It's, it's needlessly complicated. <laughs> it's needlessly complicated. There is there is nothing about this that has to be so complicated. You just play a normal quarter of football. Just like every other, like, what do they do in basketball when they're tied? Oh, they play five more minutes of normal basketball. What do they do in baseball when they're tied? They play another inning they of just baseball. Keep going. Like in hockey, it's a little different in the regular season, but in the postseason, what do they no, do? There's no, you just play. They play another the, period of hockey. Yeah. Now it's sudden death, but right. it's hockey, it's not alternating. Everyone gets to touch the puck. Right. So it's just, it's very simple. There shouldn't be very complicated conversations about this. It should just be, oh, yeah, we're going to play 15 more minutes and then look up and see who won the game. Uh, because the issue here is we saw the greatest last three minutes of yeah. the game ever. that I think we're ever going to see. Yeah. 25 points scored, three lead changes, plus a game-tying field goal as time expired. That's the greatest last three minutes we're ever going to see in this sport. And then it ended right after that. Kansas City wins a coin toss. Kansas City scores, and Josh Allen sits and watches that whole thing from the sideline. That's that's what decided the most fun three minutes of football yeah. we've probably ever seen, which is disappointing. So, yeah, it ruined it. Overtime rules ruined the best game of the postseason because – Josh Allen was awesome, and you look around saying, "Oh, how come? How come Josh Allen doesn't get the ball?" Have we ever? Have you ever seen a game like that? Because I haven't. I and you try to remember. You try to remember back. I was at the Super Bowl where Brady rallied, um, which was pretty incredible uh, against Atlanta. That was just amazing. But I just, I mean, this is one of those things where you don't have Jared did, but I didn't have a favorite team in the game, and you're just jumping off your couch. You're, you're just, you're literally screaming and jumping, and you have no. You know, no dog. No, no, neither is your favorite team. You don't really care about either team in terms of a fan, and you're literally jumping off your couch each time. I am throwing my plastic uh, toy remote, <laughs> not in anger, but in complete exhilaration and excitement that it, that all of this happened. It was me. My wife watched from the beginning, the second to the end, and even she she doesn't watch a lot of, of football with me, and she was absolutely screaming. It was absolutely amazing to watch that. When Tyreek Hill scored, and then Josh Allen immediately scored afterwards, I was as a Chiefs fan like, they deserve to win. Yeah. I'm I, th- that was good job, Bills. I hope you guys win the Super Bowl. When he Bowl. took it, that was a minute, right? <laughs> yeah, there was a when minute got, left. When he got it back, it was like a minute over under one. a minute. Yeah, yeah, it was like right there, and he goes the length of field and scores and. 
How did Tyreek Hill score? Please. Well, he turned and then was gone. He outran the <laughs> oh, entire yeah. secondary when like four guys had an angle on him. The burner on that guy. I he mean, did. He, he also did the peace sign. Oh, he should have gotten yeah, flagged. For that taunting. was pretty funny. He should have gotten flagged for taunting. Funny. I mean, I, the taunting rules are stupid, but how do you not call that yeah. for taunting when that's like one of the main reasons we have a taunting rule is Tyree kills fingers. Like that's one of the main reasons it exists. He's gotten flagged for it before and they didn't call it. That would have been chaos. If Tyree kill gets flagged for that and they take that right. touchdown away. Right. It actually might've worked out better for the bills. Well, I don't know. They would have had less time to go down and score. And by the way, who's the defensive back for the chiefs who got his ankles broken by Gabriel Davis. I assume it was Ward. Ward kept getting in trouble all night. That Gabriel nice, Davis. That was a nice crossover. That's, oh, man. I think, I think t- Tony Roma said, there's your crossover. That was Unbelievable. Amazing. How the hell's Gabriel Davis score four touchdowns, oh. by the way? NFL record. <laughs> it's like when Gabriel Davis is mentioned the same, he just broke Jerry Rice's record. Like, oh, why not? Why not break Jerry Rice's record with this game? Do you put any blame on Buffalo for the last no. 13 seconds of regulation? <laughs> I can't. I'm just not ready to blame anybody today because like I was I, I like that game so much I uh Romo I thought maybe made a good point he goes do you squib it here just to take some time off now again I would think if you feel it the first thing you do is down it I don't think I don't think you try to return it anyway because if it's the, a squib kick yeah what I don't understand and we've seen this throughout the NFL we saw it for like two years in college football before they finally allowed you to fair catch outside yeah, you should take it short but why did they not kick it to the one yard right, line? Kick it short. And that would force a return because you're not downing it at the one yard right. line if you're the return man. Why did they not kick I it know. to the one yard line? Because then that's going to waste six or seven seconds. Easily. Like, I've been I mean, on you got to return at that point. It right. might waste more. I've been on here telling you that kickers and punters, we don't need both of them because they just, what do they do? They practice kicking for 45 minutes and that's all they do every yeah. day. Every single kicker that's in the NFL should be able to kick off to the inside the five. Well, at least line. inside the five. Right. Yeah. Every single time they need to. And that's the exact scenario where you need it to. Because if Kansas City has to return that, and as long as they don't score a touchdown on the return, the clock's good. The yeah. Chiefs clock's have one strength. play. If you squib it, Kansas City can conceivably jump on it and, and down it right away. Not even waste any right. time at all. But every single kicker in the NFL should be able to do a basically, basically a pop up kick to the inside the five yard line. And force the other team to return and waste time. So I blame them a little bit for that. The final two plays where they kind of backed off, I don't put a lot of blame on that because you can't really press Tyreek Hill and give up right. a touchdown. Right. He'll go right by he you and he'll be wide ran, open for a touchdown. Ran past him for a touchdown. So I don't really blame them for how they played those last two plays uh, as much as I do the decision to kick it through the back yeah. of the end zone as opposed to make them return it from, you know, the goal line or inside the five yard line or something like that would have been much, much better. Let me ask you this on Kansas city and Buffalo. Is anyone else in the AFC on the same level as those two teams? No, I don't think so. I don't, I don't either. I don't think so. And like, obviously Cincinnati's going to have a chance to, to beat Kansas city sure. and make this conversation useless. But I think those two are, are pretty clear in a way, the best two teams in the AFC and then, like, Cincinnati, Tennessee, New England, we'll see next year who's any good. But, like, I think there's a clear first tier. And the problem for the rest of the AFC is... Well, the quarterbacks are so young. Right. It's it's not the NFC where Rodgers and Brady might not play for their teams again. Right. Like, these two guys might be on those teams for the next decade. 
you throw in like Lamar Jackson in Baltimore because if they're healthy, they're probably a content. They might be in that same tier. And Lamar, I think Lamar's younger than both of them. Like it's a horrifying place to be in the yeah. AFC if you don't have your quarterback. Like if you're not, what what are the teams right now that you feel comfort confident in? Buffalo, Kansas City, Baltimore. Baltimore if he's healthy. Cincinnati with Burrow and the Chargers with Herbert. Yeah, but I still think those two are uh, right. I do too. I do too. But I think the other three, you can conceivably say, "Hey, we can, we could beat those teams." The Raiders with Rodgers for like a year or two, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, but that. But I mean, outside of those five, what other AFC teams do you like feel good about? Like not at that level. Like Jackson. I mean, I want to see. Can you imagine more games like last night with those two quarterbacks in the years to come? Yeah. Just absolutely amazing. Uh, by the way, that game last night, is that a big enough game where the overtime rule actually gets changed? Because it didn't get changed three or four years ago when Kansas City lost to New England and basically and the Brady same did exact the same thing. He yeah. went right down the field. Basically the same situation. It might be. I mean, they're going to off season. They're going to take I'm sure in the off season, people are going to be crying for this. And that was that's I mean, you're seeing things written today by guys who've covered this league for 30 years saying that might be the best team might, might be the best game in history. There were three lead changes. In 100 years. And a game-tying field goal in the last 25 three points. minutes. 25 points. It's incredible. It was it was unbelievable. It was one of the most insane finishes to a football game we've ever seen. Ever. And they should have just played 15 more minutes, and then we would have looked up at the score and seen what it was. Would have been way better. I, I mean, I don't have anything because, again, when, when there was 13 seconds left, I was like, go, yep, Bills, great job. You guys did it. You That's, went outside. Yeah, I went outside to smoke. And I literally <laughs> heard my dad go, oh, my God. And I went, oh, God, I need to go in. Coming up next, we talk about the AFC consolation game. Stafford set up in the gun, left foot forward, leaning in to take the snap. Bounces, deals, deep down the right side. He's got Cup running down the hash marks. He reels it in at the 15. Cooper Cup has the catch, tackled at the 12, puts it down in game-winning formation. Matt Gay with four seconds on the clock will attempt a 30-yard field goal from the left hash. Hits it with the right foot. Kick on its way. It is through. It is good. Matt Gay brings it home. Los Angeles will host the NFC Championship game next Sunday at SoFi Stadium. 30-27 to is the final. What did we just witness? A 30-yard field goal attempt. Here's the spot. The kick is airborne. It is good. And that will win the game for the Los Angeles Rams, 30-27. to Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios, this is the Press Box with Grady and Bischoff. A lot of game-winning field goals. Walk-off, walk-off. All four games, walk-offs, three game-winning field goals, one game-winning touchdown, and three road team won. One. Three road teams won. Only one that didn't win was the one that didn't get the ball in overtime. Um, <laughs> I'm here to tell you, though, the Tennessee Titans lost the game because Derrick Henry came back. You know what I like on that? It's a hot take. They lost that game because Derrick Henry came back and played. They gave Derrick Henry 20 carries in that game. He had 62 yards. His backup, Dante Foreman, had 66 on four carries. They are obsessed with Derrick Henry. 
And they thought having Derrick Henry back meant, well, if we just feed this guy 20-something times, he's going to have 150 yards, and we're going to win the game. They thought he was the healthy, ready-to-go Derrick Henry. On the final drive of the game for the Titans, clock's under three minutes, they gave Henry two carries. Like, we're talking two-minute drill, and they're giving the ball to Derrick Henry. He got three total yards on those two carries. They did not lose that game because of Ryan Tannehill. They lost that game because they're obsessed with Derrick Henry, and they wasted 20 offensive plays by giving Derrick Henry the ball over and over and over. The Tennessee Titans win that game if Derrick Henry doesn't play. Even with the three picks? They win that game if Derrick really? Henry doesn't play. They lost on a last-second field goal with the interceptions. That's it. They threw three picks, and that's the only way it was close. If Derrick Henry doesn't play, they win that game because they aren't obsessed with... You're wasting, you're wasting plays. You're basically throwing plays away every time they handed the ball to Derrick Henry, who was not going to do anything. His long run of the game was nine. Like the, the amazing thing about Derrick Henry is that, yeah, you give him the ball 20 times, and twice he's going to rip off like a 40-yard yeah, run at right. least. That that was not that Derrick Henry yesterday. That was not, yeah. His was, long was nine, and they he was not 100% giving him the ball. And on the fourth and one, they give him the ball, yeah. and the offensive line doesn't block well enough, and Derrick Henry gets hit behind the line of scrimmage. Like, he didn't make his, a big enough impact in that game for them to justify that many touches, that many carries. He wasn't he wasn't good enough, and that's why they lost. Derrick Henry doesn't play. The Tennessee Titans are hosting the AFC Championship game, but they lost because they're obsessed with Derrick Henry, and running backs don't matter. Should have given Dante Foreman more carries. Do offensive lines matter? Yes. Really? Yes. They gave up nine sacks. Yeah, because the other team was obsessed <laughs> with their running back. That's the thing. Imagine me the Titans' defense today. Sacks. We did. We sacked him how many times? Nine sacks, and Joe Burrow still wins. Is the he game. gonna? Is he gonna survive? Like just, just <laughs> general. I don't, think, I don't think Kansas City gets nine sacks. General health and well-being. Is there? Is oh, Joe Burrow gonna fu- survive? Oh, you mean his, uh, his career is gonna get short yeah, by five years because like, they can't block for him? Nine times. You know who? I mean, last guy was like that. Little David Carr. Little David Carr. Hey, he got a Super Bowl ring <laughs> with the Giants. <laughs> Nine sacks. All right, so here's what I'm curious about. How much of the sacks, because Joe Burrow got sacked the most in the NFL this year, how much of those should we actually blame on Joe Burrow? Well, I mean, don't you have to take each one as it is and see if he holds onto the ball and, you know, what, what the what the situation is? I, I'm not going to say I remember all nine sacks, um, but some have to be his fault. There, there There's got to be some that are his fault for holding onto the ball or – for you know, not getting things out quick enough. Uh, I don't think all nine were on the offensive line, but he still got sacked nine times. So, Pro Football Focus, like two years ago, basically did a whole breakdown on quarterback sack rates on and, whose fault it was. And the interesting part is that there's most quarterbacks in the league when they change teams have the same sack rate on their new team that they had on their old team. That's fascinating, actually. And so the implication is that. While we talk a lot about offensive lines being the problem, that quarterbacks have a lot more you know, do control right. over whether or not they're getting sacked or not. And now, a lot of that can be pre-snap stuff where a guy might not be good at recognizing pressure or might not be good at adjusting pressure or uh, the blocking scheme. He might leave Foster Moreau one-on-one with Trey Hendrickson, right? Like, oh, that might be pre-snap stuff. A lot of that stuff is obviously after the snap, not recognizing pressure, not understanding where it's coming from, having a bad internal clock or being the guy that tries to extend plays, even though Mahomes does that and somehow never gets sacked. Like there's a lot that goes into it, 
But the general idea is that while, yes, the offensive line, it, it matters for how often a guy gets sacked. It's a, there's a lot more blame or credit that we should be giving to quarterbacks for whether or not they get sacked a lot because they have a lot of control. Because again, general premise here is that your quarterback and whoever your play caller is can kind of scheme or plan around a bad offensive line. And listen, we just saw the Bengals do it to the Raiders, right? Max Crosby was beating their right tackle seemingly every play, but every time he'd make a move and get past him, the ball was already gone. Like the Bengals got it out. Yep. The Bengals schemed around it. They were like, we know Max Crosby's coming. We're throwing it before Max Crosby can get there. That pro football focus um, experiment there with the sacks. How, I mean, I know they're watching each play, but how subjective do you think it is? Because you're not in the quarterback's head. Well, for that, that it wasn't like, hey, we're grading each play. That was they just, just said, here's the percentage here's, of this. Yes, there's, there's percentage, percentage of times of that. this quarterback okay. gets sacked. When he was on this team, right. it was 15%. When he went to a new team, it was 14%. It was, right, and they, and that's sort of the common trend for okay. quarterbacks. Well, obviously, there's outliers, but that was sort of the common trend was guys kind of have the same sack rate no matter what team they play for. So it's like, oh, okay, so maybe it's the quarterback that's the right. one that's doing this. So that's that was the general idea. Now, again, in this instance, and in most of them, each sack is going to be different, right? Right. If if Foster Moreau is blocking Trey Hendrickson, right, that's a problem. That's a <laughs> that's a protection issue, right? That's more or less on the that's quarterback a big problem, right? That's on the quarterback <laughs> and the play caller. But, you know, if your right tackle just gets run over and the defensive ends at the quarterback in a second and a half, well, that's on the offensive line. There's not many quarterbacks that are doing much with that. But that's the general idea. Brady's one of the examples who's been good at it pretty much his entire career. His sack rate's been pretty low for almost his entire career. And the interesting thing is the longstanding narrative of how do you beat Tom Brady is you get pressure with four. When he loses playoff games, it's usually because... Teams are able to rush four, and they just get pressure straight up the middle on him, and nobody can really do anything when there's pressure straight up the middle on a quarterback. So the offensive line for the Bengals isn't very good. They could have drafted Panay Sewell. They took Jamar Chase in the draft. Seems like that worked out. <laughs> Presumably, they're going to draft an offensive lineman in the first round, or they're going to do something this offseason to fix it. I'm curious to see what it looks like next year not if he's from Alabama or Clemson because he's going to get taken before that because my assumption is Cincinnati now picks after the Raiders they do so I'll be curious to see if Joe Burrow's sack rates they I mean they should come down some because they were so high this year but I'm curious to see Joe Burrow's sack rates even when the Bengals invest in offensive line how much does it change or how much should we be blaming hey Joe Burrow's pretty good but this dude gets sacked all the time because He doesn't see guys or his pre-snap protection changes aren't good enough, whatever it is. So I'll be curious to see. And I'll be curious, like, do you survive? Because you can't can't get sacked nine times in a game very often. (laughs) How many times has Derek Carr fumbled if he got sacked nine times in a game? Three. I'd say a third. Would have gotten at least one back. He would have fumbled and fallen on one. Yes. And then probably yeah. loses the other two. Loses the other two. Or, or you know, like one of the linemen looks down and goes, why is the ball here? <laughs> Derek's like six yards away. How to get over here. All right. Coming up next, Brian Dutcher from San Diego State joins the show. You're sitting in the press box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Follow them on Twitter at Ed Graney and Bischoff underscore Tyler. 
Joining us now, the head coach of San Diego State, Brian Dutcher. San Diego State hosts UNLV tonight, 6 p.m. start on CBS Sports Network. Good morning, Brian. How are you? Hey, Brian. What's going on, man? Uh, Hey, let's talk about football. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will say uh, the Chiefs and Bills almost had the same final score as your game against Boise State. I was going to say the same thing. I said, the good news is we held Boise to 40. The bad news is we only scored 37. Okay. What is, what is like the next day film study or whatever? What, what happens when you have that game where you only give up 42, but you don't crack 40? Uh, it, you know, you're trying to soul searching a little bit. I mean, it's what it is. You score that few points. But the game before, you know, we, we had a two week pause and we scored, I don't know, 79 against Colorado state. It's got a really good team. And, so you don't want to overreact, but you can't underreact. You got to fix what's broken, and we're working on a lot of things. We're not quite in rhythm yet offensively. That's definitely true. Brian, you, uh, we we sat here each week with everyone going on pause, and we just uh, assumed um, everyone it's going to hit everyone at some point. You're just you're not going to avoid it. You got a two week pause, which is a long pause. How, take us through that in terms of uh, you know how you dealt with your team, and then again we saw what happened when it came back. Was it that big of an issue, or did? You just not make shots. They're good. I mean, Boise guards at a high level. I think they're a top uh, 12 or 13 right. defensive team. I think we're number three in the metric. I think we gave up uh, low 40s to Colorado State the game before. And so we guard hard, and they guard as well as we do, but they're a little bigger than we are. They look like an old Aztec team. They've got length and athleticism and experience. And so uh, they've won 12 in a row for a reason. They're playing really good basketball. With that being said, we have to find a way to generate more offense. And and like any coach, you're banging your head on the wall trying to figure out what that is. What are your What do you do well, and how do you put your players in position to do that more? Uh, scheduling wise, UNLV is about to play. It's like I think their fourth game in eight days. You guys are starting a similar stretch here, but on the front end of that, like you have two weeks off, and then you play two games in three days, and four and eight, or four and ten, like. Is it, hey, they're college kids and this isn't too bad for them, or do you think this is going to have a big impact on the way some of these games are, are played out? I think it's going to have an impact. You know, I look at us. We, we've played three conference games. Everyone else has probably played six. We have the most to make up. I think we were the last team to go on pause. So we missed the games with everyone else canceling, and then we canceled. And so we have a lot of these stretches coming up, three and five, uh, four and eight, whatever that is. We're going to play a lot of games. So if you're playing well, you love to play. I mean, Leon went out after pause and won, four, uh, I think, maybe four in a row or something like three on the road. So they did great after pause. Uh, we we obviously did not hit rhythm out of that. A lot of that had to do with Boise. I'm not going to say that a pause was the reason we didn't play well. Boise was the reason we didn't play well. But now we got to bounce back on one day like Vegas does and play again. And so uh, the last you know two and a half years have been like no other. You know, our 30-2 and two team, we don't go to the tournament the next year. We don't have a positive test all season and, and get through it. And then this year, we're the last team to go on pause. And so basketball is not basketball, and it's every sport. Everyone deals with it, so it's not an excuse. It's just trying to find the right formula to get back in rhythm and play your best basketball. Uh, you're going to be mad if I jinx it, but you've won 18 of 20 against UNLV. You've been on the court for most of those against Ten different UNLV head coaches, and I know every year is different. I know every you know game is different. Has there been any kind of consistent uh, theme as to why you've been able to kind of control this series for so long? I just think, and we've talked on this, Ed. I just think that too many coaches. 
You know, that's too much turnover. And now it's not you don't lose a coach and then the whole team comes back and the new guy inherits a good roster. Usually when you lose a coach, the roster leaves. And then it's a rebuild every year. And so it takes – it took us a while. I mean, and, and I'm not saying we're the greatest coaches in the world, but we went – we had the bell curve. We were bad to start. We In thir- year three, we won. Then we dropped a couple, and then we built up again. And so it, sometimes it's a building process. And, you know, uh, you've got a really good coach in Kevin. I mean, I, I like the way Vegas plays. I think they're dangerous. I think they're getting better. And now let him build it. Let him have the time. Uh, uh, and I know they will. But uh, uh, give him time to build it. Give him time to bring his rosters in there uh, to turn two or three rosters over. And I think Vegas will be back to be in Vegas. So only your fourth conference game of the year, but already the second time you're playing UNLV. What from that first matchup do you think you take away the most? Is like we did that well and we need to do that again to beat UNLV. I mean, we played without both our point guards, and Adam Seiko played 38 minutes a point. I'm just, you know, we were very fortunate to get away. I mean, people, you know, uh, it was a close game to the final stretch, and we hit the late run. You know, usually a team will go on a run, and we were able to go on a little run, and they missed a couple wide-open shots, and that's basketball. And so now it's like, uh, who's going to be out there for both teams? We should be at full strength. You know, they, they were not at full strength for the last couple of games. Who's going to play the game? And then we'll see what it is when we get out there. You said Bryce Hamilton is one of the better scorers in the country. He's had 30, I believe, two straight games. Take us through as good a defensive team as you are, what you have to do against Bryce Hamilton to kind of slow him down. Well, you got to help. I mean, no one's going to guard Bryce one-on-one. And so you got to try to keep a body in front of him, and you got to help. And even with that being said, he's still capable of scoring. He's one of those gifted scorers that can score over a defender. So we know we have our hands full of Bryce, and hopefully he's uh, not on uh, like he has been the last couple of games where we can slow him down. You know, you're never going to stop him, but hopefully we can slow him down a little bit and make things harder on him. How much when you're defending Bryce Hamilton or getting ready to defend Bryce Hamilton do you have to remind your players that he's left-handed and he wants to go left every single time he dribbles? Bryce is like you can't overshadow. I mean, a lot of guys say, well, just send it right. Well, he can go right, too. He's a good player. If it was that simple. You know, if he goes right, he's going to spin back left. And, you know, so you've got to know tendencies. But you can't just show him an angle either way or he'll get downhill on you both ways. Uh, Colorado State, is, and they've kind of bounced back since, since you got them by 30. Um, you've been through the, you know, not the entire league. Obviously, you've only had three games, but you've seen boys. You've seen Colorado State. Essentially, people put them near the top with yourselves. What have you seen from afar then on the conference? What kind of conferences this year, or can you have any kind of idea given you haven't played that many games? I think it's going to be a marathon. I mean, Wyoming's playing good basketball. We know Nevada's talented and capable. You know, if they hit rhythm, uh, if Shearfield gets going in Cambridge, and, you know, obviously Boise uh, is going to be very difficult. And, and you, what they've got now is they can survive a bad offensive night because they guard at a high level. So they can win games with their defense. And that's kind of what our formula has been. And when we don't shoot the ball well, we still can find a way to stay in a game because we defend so hard. And that's what Boise has this year. After playing them and watching them, I think they're going to be really hard on people because they guard and rebound at such a high level. It's a big conversation every offseason and then also sort of later into the year. How much as a coach do you pay attention to the rest of this conference and, like, their NCAA tournament resumes? Like, does Boise State, Wyoming, Colorado State, all these teams, like, do they have a legitimate shot? And how much do you pay attention to that, or is it all just about your team right now? 
you know, everyone's got a shot, you know, right now. I mean, Boise and, 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 and Wyoming and, and uh, uh, Colorado State, I think we have a shot. I mean, teams have a shot in this league. But uh, it's great for newspaper stories where they write a bracket every week. But we all know this. There'll be 10, 12 teams that fall in and out of the bracket the last week of the season. So it's great to talk about. It's great to look at. But it's such a long season. We're three games into the conference. People are talking about our resume. Our resume will be how we play, and that'll determine if we make it or not. So if we're if we're playing good basketball and we're deserving, we'll have a chance to go. And if we don't play well, we won't. And I don't I don't get caught up in this early in the season, three conference games in, whose resume is strong enough. We're all going to see each other again. How for years and years now, because uh, you know kids love to play offense, and I know you recruit, and if they don't play defense, they can't play for you. But how do you think you've been able to remain such at a high level on that end? Well, obviously, we've got talented players, you know, and, and then they buy in. You know, we tell them before they come here, and we say, you, if you come here, you've got to want to play defense, or we're not the place for you. If you play defense, we'll let you play free offensively, but you have to come out and guard. And then when they get here and they're not guarding well, then we tell them that's the reason you're not playing. We told you that when we recruited you. You have to guard at a high level. And so that's kind of been our culture. And, uh, and we play offense. You know, we, I let them play. I let them shoot the ball and take what shots they want to take. And I don't micromanage offensively. Obviously, we try to put them in positions to be successful. We don't just roll, out, roll the ball out and play. We try to find the formula of what play works against what team. But uh, we guard, and we, we've been pretty good guarding over the last 10, 12 years. Brian Dutcher with us, the head coach of San Diego State. Uh, the last time you guys played, Kevin Kruger uh, basically called you guys the model program in the conference quite a few times. And I'm curious, uh, similarities, like what do you see from UNLV this year under Kevin Kruger that, that is similar to the way you guys build your program and have your team uh, playing? He, their kids play hard. They play hard every minute they're out there. They don't give in. They don't give up. They compete at a high level, and they've got a chip on their shoulder. I can just see the way they play and the way they go about it. You know, they're not going to give in. They're going to get better as the season goes on, and that's a lot to do with how Kevin handles them and, and demands from them, and I can just see it. And maybe the fans aren't seeing it quite yet where they want it to be, but they are heading in the right direction, and I think they're going to be very dangerous as the season goes on. If they can stay healthy, that's all of us. If, we, if you can stay healthy – and keep your best players on the floor, you got a chance to get better. Everyone takes transfers. I know you've taken some. He took a lot this year. Is there a competitive balance as to how many you take, or you know, is it just based on your team year to year and what you need, especially with this portal now and thousands of kids in it? Well, with transfers, you don't want to take someone else's problem. You know, sometimes kids are leaving because uh, they, don't, they can't get along, they don't want to buy in. Uh, if you can get the right transfers that, that are about the right things, that just want to leave because they want a better opportunity to win, and get a chance to play, then you're getting the right kind of kids. As far as high school kids, you've got to get ones you think they can play for you right away. Or you've got to get guys that know they need time to develop. You can't get a guy that you come and he thinks he should be starting as a freshman and, and he doesn't want to pay his dues and then he's out of there. So it's a fine line. You've got to mix personalities and find out what these kids are about before you just take them because they're talented. Brian, if it makes you feel any better, you said Boise State was top 12 or 13. They're actually eighth right now in Ken Palm defense. Well, what are we? Are we up three. above them? You guys, yeah, you we guys are. are three. Yeah, you guys are number We're three. We're three? Okay, yes. well, well, but that's why the score was 42 <laughs> yes. to 37 or whatever yes. it ended up. <laughs> well, he is Brian Dutcher, the head coach of San Diego State. Again, UNLV San Diego State tonight, 6 o'clock on CBS Sports Network.
Thanks so much, Brian. Thanks, Brian. Take care, man. Thanks for having me, guys. So there's Brian Dutcher. Yes, two top 10 defenses. I believe they're both outside the top 150 in Ken Palm's offensive ranking. So not going to be a high-scoring game. And the Chiefs and Bills missed them by one point. One point difference in the total points scored in those two games. They went, I think each went through 10-minute droughts. Oh, boy. I mean, it was just... (laughs) Is it was amazing to it's watch. I mean, they both obviously defend oh. out of their mind. Were they at the same time? Did I thought we you were talking about no, no. I, I don't thought you were talking so. about the beginning of the second half of the Chiefs Bills game. Yeah, what no. were those terrible offenses doing? <laughs> Why didn't they just? Why score was it every 14, 14 yeah. at the half? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. All right, coming up next. Does Jim Caldwell hate the Raiders? Mahomes sprint out now, peeling back to the right. Two Bills chasing him. He'll fire for the end zone. It's caught. Right side, Byron Pringle. Touchdown, Kansas City. Mahomes with danger in his face. Stares that danger down, and the Chiefs have a 13-7 lead. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. All right, let's get to a fun Raiders story here. If you remember last week, Dan Graziano of ESPN reported that Jim Caldwell had turned down interviews with the Raiders and the Vikings. However, he did interview with the Jags and the Bears. So basically four potential interviews for their head coaching spot. Caldwell said, I'll interview for two. I'm not going to interview for these other two. Well, Jim Caldwell responded to that on Twitter. Um, He said, I would like to correct an erroneous report that I turned down opportunities to interview for the head coaching job with Minnesota and Las Vegas. Those reports are not true. And then he actually tweeted out a longer statement, which I have respect for both organizations and the Wilf and Davis families. What do you make of Jim Caldwell saying I didn't turn down interview requests? Well, we thought last week that meant that he was about to get the one of the two other jobs, right? Jacks with Chicago. Like he right. was about he knew he was gonna get one of those jobs. He's like, Well, why would I waste these people's time? But now it's four days later. Now I don't know if he's getting <laughs> any of those jobs. And he's like, wait a minute, those are two other jobs that are open. I might want to interview for them. Cause when cause when he says he didn't turn down an interview request, he doesn't actually say nobody asked me to interview or what like he doesn't say that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. I would have interviewed. Right, exactly. He doesn't sure. come out and say, I'd love to be the coach there. So, okay, let's start at the, the first <laughs> level. Do you think Mark Davis requested an interview with Jim Caldwell? Not yet. Okay. I don't. And Jim Cal- So Jim Caldwell's saying, I haven't turned it down because nobody's right. asked no. me. Even though he Do didn't you? say that. I mean, I don't know. Because the, I mean, the other possibility, it goes off the theory that he's getting either the Jacksonville or the Chicago job. The other possibility is like, hey, Jim Caldwell interviewed with Chicago and Jacksonville, and then the Raiders in Minnesota came in and said, hey, we want to interview you too, and he kind of said, well, I'm getting the job in Chicago. Right, that's what so, we thought. We thought right. he was going to get one of those jobs, but he hasn't gotten it yet. Right, so I, it's very bizarre because I kind of, like, how would Dan Graziano get it wrong that he turned down yeah. interview requests with Las Vegas and Minnesota? Like, how would he get that wrong as a report, right? Like, that's a very specific it's, thing it's to report. It's pretty obscure to be to be wrong about. Right. And it's also obscure to, I mean, it's not the end-all, be-all, so to report it, I mean, you you got to be sure about that thing because it's not that big a deal. Right, exactly. I mean, it's, it's like, oh, Jim Caldwell didn't want to interview. It's like, okay, there's 50 other people interviewing for these jobs. Right, exactly. So it, it feels like a weird report that Dan Graziano would, would miss, get, would get wrong. It's just, right. it just feels that way. So I, it's a very strange scenario, and I don't know 
if Mark Davis is interested in Jim Caldwell as his coach or not. And I don't I still don't know if Jim Caldwell's interested in the Raiders or not, because all he said was, I didn't turn him down. Okay, so I have one real quick question that's completely tangential. On the scale of Jose Canseco being the best Twitter follow and Magic Johnson being the worst Twitter follow, where does Jim Caldwell kind of land? Because Jim Caldwell being on Twitter is sort of like finding out, like, Rich Basaccia's on TikTok. <laughs> like, I just, I would not have guessed that. I'm going to guess. I don't follow Jim Caldwell. I'm going to guess he doesn't tweet uh, that many interesting things. No. Okay. Or he just retweets. Here, we, here we go. This, he went on a run of tweets in 2021 in October. Great leaders know how to keep everyone focused by keeping priorities top of mind and adjusting as new things pop up. Great leaders stay optimistic, always preserve. The mark of a true leader is a man, parenthetical woman, that can lead his, parenthetical her, self. You can dominate without covering the, or you can't dominate without covering the details. You achieve what you emphasize. Goals are meaningless if you don't have a detailed step-by-step plan. Is he trying to sell crypto? (laughs) I would often tell my team, I have patience, but I just don't have a lot of time. So let's get it done. (laughs) <laughs> that was and that was just like October to November, him just tweeting out motivational About posters leaders and motivational your, at school. Stuff? Yeah, like that's right. Jim Caldwell's trying to the high school motivational posters on the wall. Right. Jim Caldwell's trying to like corner the market on that or something. Because that's all that's all he was tweeting out there. I kinda I was kinda hoping for like an Audrey Huff uh like he's just getting into <laughs> he's getting into Twitter wars. Like <laughs> the rest of his account just looks like he's retweeting stuff. Create a winner's mindset. Yeah. So he's consulting something. I'm going to follow Magic Johnson over Jim Caldwell. Okay. Like you put you put Magic Johnson as the worst. I would argue he's so bad that he actually comes back around it's the okay. scale to where he's at the top. Here's an hour ago from Ian Rapport. Patriots de facto defense coordinator Jared Mayo flies to Las Vegas today to interview for the Raiders job tomorrow. He is impressed so much in the interviews. Now he gets a chance in Las Vegas. Can I ask... What what's Mark Davis doing with these interviews? Like I, I get it, he's the owner and he's going to have some say. But if we're running on the assumption that he's going to f- hire a general manager first, what what's he yeah. doing with these interviews? Apparently, he's doing Zoom first. Is <laughs> this guy impressed through Zoom? So now they're going to give the guy a flight to Vegas to come in and re- interview for the job. That's a little I don't want to say worrisome, but you I mean you want the interviews to be the GM first right if I'm the GM I'm like that's fine and everything but I have to have a say in who the coach is right so I, I'm a little curious and whatever there's probably nothing wrong with Mark Davis being like yeah I'm interested in this guy so let's talk to him but like it's just a little the timing is kind of odd on what the Raiders search has been because they're also interviewing GM candidates yeah that's at also the same happened. time right it's like yes it's like the GM and the Gerard Mayo and some GM candidate are going to like have to sit in the waiting room together at <laughs> the practice. They're going to meet that? at training camp <laughs> at the at the practice yeah. facility. Yeah, like, yeah. Did you see Max Crosby's orange Porsche out there? I kind of like that car. <laughs> it's just weird timing, I guess. And like, you know, you can hire a GM after this, and then Mark Davis will be like, you know, I really like that Gerard Mayo guy, or right. I don't like that Gerard Mayo guy. So I guess it's not useless, but it's just odd timing.